Good morning. As you make your way to your seats this morning, welcome to Relevant Faith Church this morning. My name is Mike Wilmer. I'm the lead pastor here at Relevant Faith, and we are excited that you have joined us this morning. I don't know about you, but I just so love worshiping God. Okay, today we are going to start a series that is that I'm excited about because it's going to be the duration of our summer we're going to stay in this series. And it's perfect for summer because summer is such a a transient time. People are in and people are out. There's vacations. There's kids' sports. There's all kinds of things that get, get people in and out of church. And so I figure what better way than to have a series where you can come in and you can connect immediately, not miss, not feel like you've missed anything. Anybody ever go to a church where you walked in like halfway through a series and felt lost? Like, man, I, I wish I would have had the first three. Well, the good thing is here when we do that, all these messages are available online. But the other part is there's something just special about being live in a message. You get so much more out of it than listening to it online. And so the good thing about this series is that you can come in and not feel like you've missed in any any way, shape, or form as you've traveled for vacation or what have you. Um, so we're going to talk, the, ser- the title of this series is, is going to be simply Giants, and it is inspired by a book by John Maxwell called Running with the Giants. I have read that book at least four or five times now. I absolutely love the encouragement that comes from that book. It's also inspired by scripture more than a book. It's inspired by Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, and that's going to be our proof text that we'll read every week just to keep that fresh. Um, And that the Bible says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. The important thing about this passage of Scripture is understanding that in the race of life, in this contest that is for your soul, as it is, is very important. I mean, the contest of life, I mean, you run a marathon, you get a medal. You run this marathon, you get a crown. And there's a contest just the same. You're running against other runners. Here, you're running for your life, hopefully staying away from the entanglement of sin and the devil who is surely pursuing you. And so in this race of life, in this contest, there's some things that you will, you'll need in life. You're going to need stamina to run this race. You're going to need endurance to run this race. You're going to need faith to run this race. And ultimately, you're going to need some understanding to run this race. You're going to have to understand, number one, you are never, ever, ever alone in the race of life. Regardless of how you might feel, you're never actually ever alone. There are others that have run this race before us. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews, it describes, says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. So there are people who have run this race, this race of life, that are actually encouraging, encouraging you on this journey and on this race. And we're going to talk about some of those people. We're going to talk about the giants of faith through Scripture and what we can learn and gain from each one of them as we go through this series for the next probably nine or ten weeks. It's going to be, it's going to be awesome. We're going to have some, have some fun, experience some really cool things and stories of some amazing people through Scripture. And so... One of the things I've come to realize is that in this, in this journey, this, this journey of life, it is indeed a marathon, and I can't stand to run at all. 
If I'm running, you should probably run too. Because that means there's something chasing me. Because I, I got a whole theology against running. Um, that's not a biblical theology, but it's still, nonetheless, it's still a theology against running. And so, um, but what I've realized is in this journey, in this running that, that takes place in life, that endurance and patience is so critically important because how many know when you run, you get tired? That's part of why I don't run. I'm out of shape, and when I'm done running, I can't breathe. And so I'm not a big fan of that. But when it comes to life, you have to run. You have the stamina and endurance that are necessary to run because how many know life will slap you upside the face? It will knock you out cold. It'll leave you laying in the dirt and wondering what on earth just happened. That's life. And to make it through some of those things, you're going to need to have stamina and endurance and ultimately faith and understanding that you're not alone. You know, I've shared this before. I've said this over and over, and I'll say it, I'll say it for several reasons. Number one, I'll say it because you need to hear what I'm about to say very, very clearly, and you need to hear it pretty regularly but I also say it because I need to hear it pretty regularly, and I have to say it to myself quite often. I remember struggling tremendously just a few years ago, not so much with faith in Christ, but just faith in myself, what God's called me to do, the church, all kinds. It was like about 25 different things I was struggling with all at the same time. At least that's what it seemed like. It probably was more like one or two. I'm just being dramatic. And so I remember talking to my spiritual father and telling him all the challenges and struggles that I felt like I was facing that was making it hard to even breathe. And he said, well, let me help you out. And here I am sitting on the edge of my seat, excited to hear from my spiritual father. Um, many of you have met him. Many of you have not. You'll, you'll hear from him at some point in time in the coming years. He's going to come and speak to us here. But um, Gary Grogan, known as Papa G., is my spiritual father, and he would say to me, he'd say, Mike, he said, listen, the measure in which you are going to grow, and not just meet the church, but me personally, is directly connected to the measure in which you're willing to suffer and continue moving forward. And let me tell you something. When I sat there on the edge of my seat, my response was very simply, what else you got? Because the last thing I wanted was to have any kind of thought that I'm going to suffer in any way, shape, or form. Nobody likes to suffer, but we forget there's a whole portion of Christianity that I think most Christians, at least in the Western world, have forgotten. And it's called this, what Paul talked about, what Paul said is, I celebrate in the fellowship of the, with the sufferings of Christ. We all celebrate in the glory of Christ. We all want to experience the greatness of God and the miraculous provision and everything else. But nobody wants to fellowship in the sufferings of Jesus. Yet it is actually a very important part of our walk with Christ. is the willingness to suffer in, and, and fellowship in his sufferings. And so there's a, whole, it's a, it's a whole challenge in that that I don't have even time to get to today because I have a message that God has put on my heart. But there's, that's like kind of the basis of this message and of the next 10 weeks is that, that shot of encouragement every step along the way to know, number one, there are those that have gone before us that have modeled it for us. And number two, that there is strength and there is power when you are having endurance and stamina with this race called life. 
And so I, the book gives us this great thought process that says, what would happen if these giants of faith stepped out of their cloud where they're witnessing and spoke to us? What would they say? And so this morning, we're going to talk about one of these giants, and, I, and we're going to talk about this amazing and powerful and unbelievable woman of God. And we're going to talk about a woman named Rebecca. And so we're going to talk about what her response would be to you in this. If they could jump out of this cloud and they could just run one lap with you, what they would speak to you during this lap that they're running with you. And for Rebecca, I think what that, that can be summed up in really just this one thought. For when, every, when, every, and when any others ever ask for your help, her response to you in this journey of life would be give generously to others. To give generously to others. The challenge with that thought is that there's, there's one word that we usually don't focus too much on in that, in that, in that, 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 that encouragement. It's not the word given. It's not even the word generously. It's the, really is the word others. We're challenged by the word others. We become so consumed with our own struggles, so consumed with our own issues, our own sin, our own struggles, our own what we need and what we don't have and what we think we deserve and all these other things. We become so consumed by these things. The last thing that we're thinking about is someone else. And it's the first thing that this woman, Rebecca, thought about. And we'll get to that in just a minute. We're going to be in Genesis in just a few minutes to just map this story out. You know, we have Abraham who was really, really, really old at this time, and, and he wanted a wife for his son Isaac. And so he sent his chief servant to go get one. Man, I imagine it was that easy. I want my son to have a wife. You, you go get him one. That would, that would make things so much easier around, these, around uh, relationships if, if just say, hey, you go get one. He didn't want Isaac to leave the land, so he sent this servant. And so... But he needed a wife to be from this family. And so his servant leaves, and he leaves with 10 camels and all kinds of other stuff to entice the right one. In a sense, it seems like he was going to buy a woman. Imagine what that would be looked upon today. And so as, he, as his servant is traveling, he seems to be getting a little nervous, asking questions like, how am I going to know if it's the right one? And... And then he arrived at a well, and he prayed at that well. And here is a record of his prayer in Genesis chapter 24, verses 12 through 15. The Bible says, this is his prayer. O Lord, God of my master Abraham, he prayed, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. See, I am standing here beside this spring, and the young woman of the town the young women of the town are coming out to draw water. Lord, this is my request. I will ask one of them, please give me a drink from your jug. If she says, yes, have a drink, and I will water your camels too, let her be the one you have selected as Isaac's wife. This is how I will know that you have shun, shown unfailing love to my master. 
Verse 15, before he had finished praying, he saw a young woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, who was the son of Abraham's brother Nahor and his wife Milcah. So a couple things real quick before we get into the meat of this message is you have to understand something here. And it's very, very important when it comes to your, your walk with God and your personal prayer life. If you notice, he said, Lord God, please give me success today and show unfailing love to my master Abraham. First, his prayer was so focused on him and his master that he, he was not even worried about his own needs in that, in that moment. And then, so number one, when we pray and we seek the Lord, it's really important and it's very helpful to hearing from God to pray for others and seek God for others. Because, and we're going to get to this, Jesus made a comment about what you make happen for others, God will make happen for you. We'll get to that later on in the message. But he, he would seek God for Abraham. And then here's what's also really important and really cool to understand when it comes to prayer is be specific when you talk to God. Be specific. See, God knows our hearts and he's willing to give us the desires of our hearts. But here's the the challenge to that is the desire of our heart must line up with his will. When the desire of our heart does not line up with his will and it really lines up with what we want and it's more out of selfishness, you're likely to hear a lot, a whole lot of nothing. But when your desires are lined up with his will, he gives you the desires of your heart. And so he's being very specific. He's like, I'm going to ask one of these women for a drink. And then if she says, I'll water your camels too, then let her be the one for Isaac. That's, that's a very specific request with the expectation that she was then going to follow through and be who God wanted for Isaac. So while it looks like Abraham is trying to go buy a woman for his son, and while it looks like he's sending his servant after to go get one, the reality of it is God's already ordained this relationship, and he's just doing the legwork to find who is the right one. It's not so simple as just going to purchase a woman or so simple as to just go pick one out. God has already had his hand in this. And so this significant request that was, going, that was about to be made, it doesn't seem like a big prayer request, but it is very specific. But it's also huge because here's what we have to understand. He brought 10 camels with him. Now, if you, you can Google this information and, and learn about camels, one of the things that you'll find out about camels is camels drink about 20 gallons of water a day. So now he's asking, now if you think about it, at first it's like, oh, if I water your camels, you'll be good. See, we, we're missing how huge this prayer request actually is because 10 camels at 20 gallons a day, 200 gallons of water with a bucket in a well. In our modern society here where we have the ability to turn on a hose and waste 200 gallons of water like that, we don't even want to fill up buckets for 200 gallons of water. If somebody were to come to you and say, I need 200 gallons of water, you'd be like, 99 cents, Target, Walmart, go hook yourself up, you get some 200 gallons of water. You're not going to break out your hose and your bucket and, and put the work in, not, not to mention taking a bucket and going drawing a five-gallon bucket out of a well to then water each camel. And here's what's really cool. The last thing I'm going to point out about this prayer that's important for our prayer life is so, is before he had even finished praying, he saw the woman named Rebecca coming out with her water jug on her shoulder. Before he even finished, 
he saw. Part of our challenge in our prayer life is that we're praying, but we're kind of praying blindedly. Instead of praying, searching and expecting for God to show you what you're praying, or at least lead you in that general direction of what you're praying pretty quickly. You may not receive an answer quickly, but you definitely, without a shadow of a doubt, 100% of the time that you are seeking the Lord, you will find and you will hear moments after you're done praying exactly what direction you might should begin the process in. I have never prayed and asked God without having some kind of direction shortly thereafter praying. And so here it's like even before he finished, he saw this woman. And look what happens. You skip down to Genesis chapter 24, verse 17 through 20. Running over to her. See, here's the other thing. We, we see God providing, and then we, we kind of freeze and say, okay, I'm going to let God provide. Look at what the servant did. He ran over to her and said, please give me a little drink from your jug. And here's her reply. Yes, my Lord, she answered, have a drink. And she quickly lowered her jug from her shoulder and gave him a drink. When she had given him a drink, she said, and I quote, I'll draw water for your camels too until they've had enough to drink. God had put this woman in this space for that specific time and then gave her the heart to water 10 camels with 200 plus gallons of water. So she, it says she quickly emptied her jug into the watering trough and ran back to the well to draw water for his camels. Got to understand, she didn't just empty it in and then let, take a nice casual stroll. She emptied it and ran back to the well. She, could, she found herself in a position where she was number one, a servant, and number two, overwhelmingly generous. And she wasn't even worried about it. She said, I'm going to run back to this well so that I can do this and do this quickly so this man of God can get on and do what he's supposed to be doing. Again, big deal, 200 gallons. And you think about it, conservatively thinking 200 gallons of water drawn with a five-gallon jar. It's at least 40 trips if you don't spill anything. And at 40 trips running back and forth, three or four minutes each, you're talking two to three hours just filling up water for camels. She was willing to just let this man interrupt her entire life for two or three hours just to water camels. We can't even be interrupted for two or three minutes to have a conversation. We know we need to talk to somebody. There's somebody that God's put on our heart. We got to speak. So what do we do? Oh, let me shoot him a quick text. We can't even be bothered enough to pick up the phone and call them to say, hey. No, we got to shoot them a text and then not respond when they replied for about 24 hours. Because we can't be bothered with other people and their issues and their needs. So the servant would give her gold and jewelry and she then would accept this proposal. So here's what I believe Rebecca would say to you and I if she's running this lap with us. She said, she'd say, little did I realize how this act of generosity would change the world. Little did I know that my actions were the answer to prayers and the plan of God. Just think about that. Your provision, 
Your generosity is no doubt an answer to prayer to someone and in the plan of God. When you fail to be generous with both both your money, your time, your love, your grace, your mercy, we're not just talking about money, we're talking about everything here, we're talking about your life. If you fail to be generous with your life, you are doing a couple of things. You are missing the mark for a blessing on your own, but you are also missing being the one to provide and fulfill God's plan for someone else. When we think about it like that, it's like, whoa, wait a minute. That ain't right. So we want to make sure that we have, that our actions are generous because they are the plans of God for someone else without a shadow of a doubt. If you were walking in here and you walk in here and you say, I'm a believer in Christ, then that's the plan of God for every believer's life is to live that way generously. But see, Rebecca went the extra mile. Her attitude is actually in complete contrast to today's attitudes. She went the extra mile You would never have heard her say, yeah, I don't do camels. Yeah, you know what? I don't don't, don't play with camels. They're stinky. I mean, anybody ever been on a camel? Been around a camel? Like, they don't smell real nice. They are nasty smelling. They they even, I mean, they're not known for this because an emu is known for this, but a camel will spit on you too. They're rude. They don't smell good. And she's like, yeah, I'm going to water Ten of them. She, nobody would have thought about her saying, I don't do camels. But we say things like, I don't do windows. At Chick-fil-A, one of the models of Chick-fil-A leadership and, and teaching of employees is we go the extra mile, above and beyond. And I'll be honest with you, when someone does not want to go above and beyond, guess what? They, get, they stop working at Chick-fil-A. They don't put up with it. That's why Chick-fil-A, I mean, Chick-fil-A's standard is so astronomically high. It is easily and, and has already surpassed every other organization in customer service in the entire country. Now, you will have a bad experience from time to time because it's like that anywhere you go in life. But the reality is that there's a reason for that because they are intentional about that. And people say, man, you just find great people. No, we find people and we train them greatly. That's Chick-fil-A. That's what we do. That's part of my, my part-time job outside of pastoring a church that I'm responsible for. And so it's, 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 it's not even this, wow, this amazing concept that Chick-fil-A is marketed and cornered. No, it's actually biblical, and it was cornered a whole long time before Chick-fil-A ever invented. That extra mile that Rebecca would go is, I'll not only do what you ask, but then I will do so much more. Today, people say, I'm going to do the least that is expected of me, and try to get the most out of it. It doesn't work at work. It doesn't work in life. So here's the Rebecca principle. Number one, in your notes, you got a note sheet. These are your fill in the blanks. These are all, I spent a lot more time on that intro because these are much shorter. And then once we finish with this process, we'll do some practical application that hopefully you can take away with you. So the Rebecca principle is this. Number one, you can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. You can't be generous and legalistic at the same time. Well, what does that mean? Generosity starts, and and let's let's just, we're going to bring it to money for just a second because that's the area that hangs everyone up. Generosity 
starts with obedience to the tithe. But that's just the beginning. Generosity, true generosity, goes over and above financially, then the tithe. It also goes over and above with your time that you offer and the property that you own. Everything I own, it belongs to God. If somebody else needs it, here you go. Oh, you, we need to use my house? Okay, cool, come on over. And then we scramble around like crazy to clean that thing, right? I come home and tell my wife, hey, there are people coming over tomorrow. Okay, we're cleaning. We don't mind it so much because it's that, that, that couple times a month that the house just gets spotless clean because folks are coming over. You know, or at my car, someone needs a car. Here, I got one for you. Take it, use it, whatever. As long as you need it, just take it, use it. That, that's called, gen- those are things are called generosity with what we have. And what we have is summed up with our time, it's summed up with our money, and it's summed up with our property, what we actually own. How many times have you said, and I'm guilty of it, you want to drive my car? You ain't driving my car. No one drives my car. That's my car. But we become so consumed with having what we, and keeping what we have that we miss the spirit of generosity. Rebecca had this generous spirit, this generosity in her heart. The Pharisees would continue to model their generosity and their measurement of their religion by what people would see them do. That's the legalism part. It's like, hey, I'm helping somebody. Hey, everybody, look over here. Look at what I'm doing. I'm helping this person. It's one of the greatest struggles I've struggled with as a pastor of a church. I've never wanted to, to advertise all that we do to help people, except among the body of Christ here to let people know what they can become a part of. But people, it's like, people are like, oh, well, why don't, you, why don't you make a commercial about that laundromat outreach and get it out there for everybody to see? I'm like, because I'm not worried about everyone else. This is just what we do. It's just who we are. It's in, it's in the DNA of our church. It's in the DNA of myself as a pastor. It's the DNA of our Lord Jesus Christ. It's to just be generous. I don't need the world to see what we do. All I need is Jesus to be approving of what we do. That should be enough for your life. You can't keep score. Generosity has, has to get into your heart and not into your head. In your head, you keep score because here's what we do. You keep it in the back of my mind. Okay, I loaned that person my truck. I gave that person 20 bucks. I let that person use my backyard. I let that person use my lawnmower. You know, we start to keep score. Like, hey, when y'all coming back at me? All that I've done for you, when y'all gonna come do something for me? That's kind of why we miss God's blessing. It's kind of why we miss the plan of God as it relates to generosity, because we're doing it as obligation and keeping score rather than understanding that generosity is a privilege. You are privileged to give everything you have away. Yeah, no, that's not good preaching. Y'all ain't going, no one's excited about that. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul says it like this, you must each decide in your heart how much to give and don't give it reluctantly or in response to pressure for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Let me, let me help you understand something, okay? Pressure is not the pastor preaching that you need to give. Just get that outside of your mind. We think, oh, I'm not going to that church. That pastor, he preaches about money. He's pressuring. That's not pressure. I'm telling you what the word of God says. What you do with it is up to you. Pressure would be me coming behind and say, what's the matter with you? Why aren't you giving what you're supposed to be giving? How much, how much money you got in your pocket right now? You got 20 bucks? Give 10 of it to Jesus. That's pressure. That's not what we're doing. I'm just telling you what the word says. Jesus would sit 
and watch these folks come and give. How about I do that? We set the offering up right here on a little table, and I'm going to sit like this. Oh, I know where you work, and that's what you... You, you got more than 50 cents in your pocket. Yeah, that, 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 could you imagine that today? That person, that person would be YouTubed and have 10 million hits, and there'd be all kinds of false teacher, pro, false prophet, don't go to that church, he's a devil. That's all that stuff would be coming out if I did something like that. Jesus did it. And on top of it, when he saw this woman who gave just two bits, said she gave more than the wealthy people. Okay, I'm preaching now. Let me move on. Y'all don't want to hear that. Number two of the Rebecca principle is this. You can't walk the second mile until you've walked the first. You can't walk the second mile until you've walked the first. It's easy to say what we intend to do. If I win the lottery, I'll dot, dot, dot. Let me jump back into my own wreck of a life if I can for a second. Back before I went into ministry full time, I was trying to do everything but that because I had a skewed perspective about that and I didn't want anything to do with that. And God had kind of removed a whole bunch of things from my life saying, hey, you're not being obedient and I'll take this away. And I'm like, that's okay. You can take that away. I still can live on this. Oh yeah, you can take that away. I can still, and he took everything and I said, that's okay. I'll still figure out a way to live. Right? So in my ways of doing that, I tried to build a business of helping people financially. It was such a wonderful concept and a wonderful idea, and its application was amazing, and I became very, very good at it. And then I always would mask it in this, well, you know what, I'm going to build a business and make a whole bunch of money, and then I'm going to bless the church. So, so what Jesus heard, what I, what I heard myself saying is, I am going to be generous with everything I've gotten. What Jesus was saying is, so you're going to be disobedient to go after what you want in the name of generosity? That would be one of those moments where Jesus said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. That's kind of what that moment was. That's what we do. If I win the lottery, then I'm going to give everything. Or man, just all I need to do is just get this job, make a little bit more, then I can give to this person. All I need to do is just, just structure my time a little bit so that I can give Jesus my five minutes. You know, we will give our kids six hours on a baseball field on a Saturday afternoon, or we will go to soccer matches or karate classes or gymnastics or cheerleading or any of the other things that our children are involved in. We will pour all that time and energy into that. And that's not a bad thing. I've done all that and continue to do all that. But it's when my life slows down is when I'll give Jesus the time he needs. And we miss the ability to walk this second mile. I mean, look, look for opportunities to give and serve others. With a generous spirit, you got to look. It's intentional. Look for those opportunities. You have to start, number one, you have to start with what you have. Only in a few specific instances is Jesus going to call you to give more than what you actually have. It happens. And from that, you need to hear the voice of the Lord. I say it happens because I've done it. But it's very, very few instances that that's going to be the case. You, he's going to, more importantly, say you need to be generous with what you have. And the perfect example of that is the parable of the three servants. In Matthew chapter 25, verse, and in, in, that, in that comment, in that statement, in that story, in that parable, 
You've got three servants that the master gave gifts to. And he said, go and do something with them. And of course, you know the story. One of them buried it in the ground so to not lose it. Another one invested in such a way to get himself a small return. Another one invested in such a way to get a great return. And in in verse 21, the Bible says, the master was full of praise and said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I'll give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. See, we want more without being faithful with what we have. We want more time, but we have not been faithful with the time that we have. We want more money, but we've not been faithful with the money that we have. We want more relationships, but we have not been faithful in the relationships that we have. We want more of the presence of God, but we have not been faithful with what he's already given us in our lives. You can never walk the second mile until you have first walked the first. He would go on to say in that same passage of scripture, to those two that buried it and didn't earn a a return, that they were wicked. So it's not just a benefit and a blessing in your generosity. There is an actual wickedness to withholding from God. Number three, the other part of the Rebecca principle, and this is all coming from Genesis, is that extra blessings result from extra effort. And what I said a few minutes ago, our desire is to get the maximum out of the absolute least. I mean, think about it. Whenever you want a deal on something, you call somebody and you're looking for a good deal and you'll say, what is the, what is the absolute most I can get for my money? And that's not it. I need, I need a better deal than that. You want the king's feast, but at a golden corral price. We do the same thing with Jesus. Modern consumerism has said, I want, you know what I want? Here's what I really want. There's a restaurant over here. It's called Connected. It's right across the street over here. Amazing restaurant. Amazing food. You wouldn't even imagine that that place, I've only eaten there once because it's expensive and I had a gift card. And so I go there and I walk in. I'm like, what? It's like, this place is here? It's beautiful. Immaculate, romantic setting, unbelievable. The food, wow, incredible. That's what we want. We want that five-star meal, but we want to walk into McDonald's and get it on the dollar menu. And that, but that's what we do with Jesus. We want all of his blessings. We want all of the riches and the glory of God, but we don't want to tarry 30 seconds in prayer. We want all that he has, for little to no effort. So being generous isn't easy. You actually have to go out of your way. There are no shortcuts to it. There's no formula to it. It's really simple. Adopt the philosophy and the theology that everything you own belongs to him. That's the first step. And then when he asks you to give it to someone, you just actually let it go and give it to someone. Because here's the reality. It doesn't matter what you have. It doesn't matter how down and out you are, how difficult your situation is. You can always do more. can always do more. Matthew chapter 5, verses 41 and 42, the Bible says, if a, sol- if a soldier demands that you carry his gear for a mile, what does Jesus say? Carry it for two miles. Verse 42, give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. He said, be the lender. Be the lender. Be the one giving. Be the one giving it out and letting it go, not the one expecting to get it all 
given to you. So when we give generously, we receive more than we could ever even think is possible. Back check to Rebecca. She became her simple act of generosity, her simple act of going above and beyond. She was the great 37 times grandmother of Jesus. Her generosity, her over and above, the heart that she had put her in position to be part of the lineage of Christ, the Savior of the world. And Paul would say, as a reminder, in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, he says, remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. Again, we're not just talking about your money. It's all part of that, but it's everything. It's your life, your time, your talent, your own, or what you own, your money, all of it. When you sow it generously, you reap generously. So let's make this practical really quick in the next 10 minutes as we finish this up, or less actually. So let's make this practical. Here would be the words of encouragement. So that's the principle of living. Challenging, I know. A lot easier said than done, I know. But that's the principle of living. Here's the encouragement to live it out. Understand that number one, even the smallest acts of generosity make a difference. Even the smallest acts of generosity make a difference. It was just water. It took only a few hours. The small act of generosity made a huge difference. A tip to a waitress. Let, let, let me, I'm going to say something really, 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 really seriously right now that y'all are going to get mad at me for. You go out to eat and you have a waitress and you don't, aren't overwhelmingly generous with them and you break out your, cal your calculator so you can count the cost of exactly 10%, stop going out to eat. Because let me tell you, those waitresses, they work on tips and those tips usually help provide something for their children or their family. Be generous. I am foolishly generous. I don't ever walk out of a restaurant tipping less than 25%. You can be a horrible waitress and you're getting that. That's like my baseline beginning. Why? I'm just trying to live generously with what God's given me. And who knows? It never know what it's going to do for someone else. My wife even talked about in the, in the, the laundromat. This gentleman, this past time, he was so overwhelmed with the grace of this little thing called laundry. It costs us a couple hundred bucks a month to do laundry for people. Like 250, 275 at the most when it comes to buying all the, all the stuff plus the quarters. That, that, that's, that's nothing. In the grand scheme of life, $200 a month is nothing. And this gentleman, he came up and he was so overwhelmed, he had to pray for us. He was so overwhelmed, he had to pray for us. And then privately, he said to me, he said, you know what, Pastor, I, I didn't share this with that, that group, but I just wanted to tell you that I was actually making the decision to wash a couple loads of laundry instead of getting my diabetes medicine. Because I had nothing clean, and it hadn't been clean for weeks. It's a small thing. And the impact on that man was huge. 
The smallest acts of generosity make a huge difference. A tip to a waitress, a note, an email, a phone call. I mean, just look at the, one of the most celebrated miracles in all of scripture is Jesus feeding the 5,000 people and he did it with what? One little boy's lunch. One small little boy's lunch fed what most theologians believe to be almost 30,000 people. Yeah, 5,000, but where there's 5,000 men, there are 5,000 women. And where there are 5,000 women, there's like 15,000 kids. Talking Bible times, they had like 12 kids. Even the smallest acts of generosity make a huge difference. Matthew chapter 10, 42 says, if you, even get, if you give even a cup of cold water to one of the least of my followers, you will surely be rewarded just for some water. Number two, when we give, understand, so we're, you need to, the smallest acts of generosity change lives. But number two, when you give, we give to God. That's the mentality problem. We think that when you give, we give to each other, but the reality is we give to God. This is the issue when it comes to homeless folks on the side of the street. You see them, and the first thing you say is, ooh, I'm going to give them five bucks. What are they going to do? Go buy a pint? Go buy some old English or some crazy, crazy horse? Because, you know, that's cheap liquor. That's our thought process. I ain't worried about what they spend it on. I'm just going to be generous, just going to give. Try to actually buy them a lunch. See someone on the side of the road asking for money, say, hey, can I buy you lunch today? They're always asking, for, people are always asking for money around restaurants. Why? Because they know people go to eat there and they have money. Buy them lunch. Because when you do these things, you give it, you do it for God. Verse 20, Matthew 25, verse 40, Jesus again, he said, and the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. Last one is this. Worship team, you can come and get set. We're going to wrap this up right here. And this is a genuine wrap up. So I'm going to give them a minute to get in place. Is this helping you at all? Is it helping to understand generosity? Is it helping to understand the heart of Jesus? Because after all, we're talking about practical things and everything is being taken right back to the words of Christ. Uh, One thing I did put in my notes that I don't want to miss from that passage of scripture in Matthew 25, 40. We will. Don't, Don't get it twisted. Don't be confused. We will be judged based on what we've done with all of our lives. Talking about wholeness of generosity, not just what comes out of the wallet, but what comes out of all of you. We will be judged with what we've done with our lives. And remembering when we do it, we do it for him. Number three and the last one is when we give, the impact of our generosity generosity out, oftentimes outlives us. The impact of our generosity outlives us. It's just a little bit of water and a little bit of time, and it would lead to the lineage of Christ. 37 times the great-grandmother of Jesus. That's a long time that 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 generosity and that blessing outlived her. John chapter 4, verse 38 says, I sent you to harvest where you didn't plant. Others had already done the work, and now you will get to gather the harvest. Like, I, I know for a fact right here in this church 
that Relevant Faith Church and me as its pastor is absolutely reaping a harvest of seed I did not plant and ground I did not cultivate. And the people that God has brought here absolutely reaping a harvest. There are folks here that where I have planted the seed, where I have watered that seed, and it's harvesting that as fact that's right here in this church. But for the most part, more than that, reaping a harvest as someone else planted. So were you, in case you didn't know. The two weeks I was on vacation, my very good friend, Pastor Nate Terry, preached the gospel. He came to this church six plus years ago as part of our launch team. I didn't win that man to Christ. I didn't pour into his life and cause him to become a disciple of Christ. I didn't do any of that. Somebody reached into the prison and got him. Someone else poured water onto that seed. We just happened to be able to be part of the harvest of that seed. So your generosity will outlive you. As a matter of fact, in this particular case, it has because the very man that would pour out his life into this man has since passed away and gone on to be with Jesus and now has left him here for us to benefit from. Same thing for me. Someone else in a whole other part of this country poured into me that hopefully it's a blessing to someone in here. But that's this church And your generosity has a huge impact on those in the future. So what I'm glad that Rebecca didn't say is that I don't do camels. Because even Rebecca's generosity is being harvested by me today. Imagine what the world would look like if Michelangelo said, I don't do ceilings. And had Noah said, I don't do boats? And what if Moses said, I don't do rivers? What if David said, I don't do giants? What if Mary said, I don't do virgin births? What if John the Baptist said, I don't do baptisms? What if Paul said, I don't do letters? What if Jesus said, I don't do crosses? Imagine what our world would look like people who've had some of the most profound impacts on this world, both in a secular world, but also in a biblical world, said, I don't do. Our lifestyle of generosity is going to outlive you here on earth and ultimately in eternity as well.